0: This week, we will have four episodes. I'm adding the summaries slash bottom line up fronts for the three interview episodes to this episode and all the programming notes going forward, just so that it's easy for people to choose which episodes they might want to listen to. On Monday, we will have building a self-serve platform developers will actually use, which is an interview with Auden and Gyoran from NAV. I'm not going to say their last names because I'll murder those worse than I did their first. Uh, this is a follow up interview with some folks from Nav after Bente Bush's wonderful interview last month. So learn about some early great lessons from Nav's journey on building their uh, self serve platform for the actual uh, application developers to use, uh, including how they're using Cake specifically to drive buy in. Literally Cake. On Tuesday, we will be having Pursuing Platform Thinking Through Data Mesh, which is an interview with Eric Broda. Eric has been putting out a lot of good, thought-provoking articles on data mesh in the last few months. We talked about what he's learned from helping a large financial institution deploy data mesh and what are some overall general useful patterns, kind of what's different around data mesh versus what we've tried historically. Uh, we disagree about CDC's usefulness, but in a friendly way. I think you'll get a lot of it, out of it. On Wednesday, we will have a mesh musings on driving buy-in, it's exec, exec level buy-in, data engineering buy-in, data consumer buy-in, and domain team slash data producer buy-in. This has been something a lot of people have been asking about and have been asking for. This episode is informed by a lot of the published episodes, as well as heavily informed by some more recent interviews with people like Jessitron, who's also Jessica Kerr at (laughs) Honeycomb.io, and Scott Hawkins from ITV. Uh, Those two episodes that I just mentioned are available early on the Patreon. Jessitron's episode will also be coming out next week. Scott's episode will likely be out the first or second week of April, still trying to figure out exact scheduling as we have um, up to two takeover weeks coming up soon. On Friday, we'll have Getting Data as a Product Right and Other Learnings from Adavinta's Data Mesh Journey, uh, which is an interview with Xavier Gumaro-Rigol. Xavier has done a lot of great work putting out three blog posts around kind of the data product and data as a product topic. And he also did a data mesh learning meetup. Uh, There's a ton of really useful info in this conversation on how to approach data products and leveraging the data as a product paradigm. As a note, the Patreon is up and running. As soon as an episode is finished being produced, it is up there. I only put up the actual episode. I'm not putting on the, the bottom line up front on there. So it's just jumping straight directly into the content. Uh, no ads or anything like that. As of tomorrow, which is Monday, March 6th, there will be 10 to 11 as yet unreleased interviews on the, the Patreon. I'm trying to make it so I don't put any content behind a paywall. But that is somewhat dependent on people actually signing up for things like the Patreon. There needs to be some funding flow into this so that I can continue to expand uh, the general footprint of what I am doing. Uh, the Patreon is designed really to be put on a corporate credit card so the community, community can start to fund some of the endeavors. Datastacks has been extremely gracious in their help getting things going, and they're happy to continue to contribute my time, but there absolutely needs to be more funding, like transcripts for most of the first 35 episodes of, of Data Mesh Radio, a virtual assistant to help with scheduling on meetups, a uh, social media intern to help amplify some of the great voices in the community, et cetera. There needs to be funding flowing in here. I know a lot of people have said The community has significantly, significantly uh, furthered their journey much faster than they would have been. So at some point that needs to be uh, kind of recognized and and we need to pay that forward, as it says. Right now, it's all 100% me, other than Starburst, helping with the transcripts for um, the recent episodes that are coming out, the recent interviews. Vendors especially need to start contributing their weight instead of only taking. Yes, I'm looking squarely at the likes of Confluent and Denodo who are trying to take and overmarket without giving. With that, let's jump into the three summaries for the interview episodes from this week so you can choose if it sounds like a good use of time to listen to them. Thanks. This is a follow-up episode to my interview with Bente Bush from NAV. I interviewed Auden Fashald-Srand and Joran Berenson, who are leading the charge to build the self-serve platform for the application developers at NAV. This is going to allow them to be able to share their data for the data mesh. This is another fun conversation, but I also think it's a must-listen for folks trying but having issues driving buy-in from application developers. I think you'll get a lot of really good information out of this. Odin and Joran have been working together to build NICE, or N-A-I-S, which is Nav's application platform. While Joran was previously someone on the data side of the house, he's learned a lot working on building NICE to continue to focus on building platforms that are easy to use for developers that are native to their workflows. He still feels the pull to make the self-serve platform as data-centric as possible, but he understands that's not likely to drive adoption. If you just add expectations of the data product producers, it won't go well. Also, use Cake. I'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) While Nav is early days in building out their data platform for data mesh, they're taking an interesting approach. Work with the developers to set data product expectations and then see how the developers would go about creating those data products. Then the data platform team will build the platform out to make developer workflows much easier. They're looking at how people would actually want to build this stuff and then where is the friction and then building the platform out to reduce that friction rather than telling them this is how you create a data product. It's here's the end end result that we want. You go ahead and figure out how to do it. They both talked about reducing that friction, including via sensible defaults, as a big part of their path forward. Stop trying to make developers come up with everything themselves. While they're still early on developing those defaults, they're comfortable in their process to get to you know, usable, nice defaults. And working with de- developers along the way is very key. This kind of keeps coming up repeatedly as a big through line. There's a big need for blueprints, defaults, et cetera. This 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of what you're trying to do with data mesh can be covered by pretty standard approaches. So make it easy for domains that aren't that complex to share and share their data and move forward. They don't have to design everything from scratch, right? To start, Nav's definition of a data product is a single table or view. It will probably evolve to be more of a data set focus, but they don't see a need to prematurely optimize or overcomplicate. I think this makes a lot of sense because it's super easy to try to go for the biggest so bang for your buck, so to speak. But it's setting your sights too high too early. Build to that, that complication. You need to build that muscle first. Gioran emphasized the need to have empathy for data producers. To build that into the platform, teams, whatever the strategic direction, can choose where they focus their time. Don't try to force them to spend their time on data. Spend the time to really work with them. As Brian McMillan said, find the opportunistic data folks. NAV tried to put analytics or data engineers into their domain teams, but saw those data engineers sitting next to the team, not as part of their team. So they decided to rethink how they're approaching that. Those data product developers were likely to become overly crucial to serving the data, and thus were likely a single point of failure if that person moved on. So we need to get the application developer teams, the domain teams themselves, to be able to serve that data. If we just stick a data engineer in that team to do it, uh, it, it can become a source of pain for later down the road. From a domain standpoint, NAV are starting with the teams that want to share their data first, and they'll pull the laggards in later, but they aren't trying to get everyone bought in up front. They're using a similar approach that has come up repeatedly to drive buy-in. Share with those domain teams why their data is valuable and how what sharing their data could really impact the organization and other people. You know, most people really do want to help others. So, if you can get them bought in that way, I think that's helpful. Okay, the most important aspect to this entire conversation is cake. No, really. <laughs> for each team that puts a data product onto the the data mesh, they're giving them cake, like as in literal shipping them a cake for the team to eat. It might seem silly, but it really does seem to work. It makes it feel like less daunting to put a data product out there. A bit like you were just having fun with some friends. It also means that the team can show off a bit when they get their picture out there with their cake. You know, they post it in the Slack. People are like, oh, wow, okay, this team is forward thinking. They're they're already onto their first cake from deploying their first data product. And then people can also use that kind of cake picture as a jumping off point for learning more about the data product they just shared, that internal data marketing concept. It really is a fun community building hack that I think people should take a look at at using something similar. This cake thing is Alden's baby. He's the one who came up with this. So all credit goes to him. I think it's a, a really, really great thing. While the data platform is early days, Nav has open-sourced most of the nice platform, so hopefully they will do the same here. You can check out the nice open-source, um, what they've open-sourced in the show notes. I think you'll just in general really enjoy this episode. Other and Joran are just fun and are heading down a good path with their journey. I think you can take a lot of very useful things from it, and I think it's just a, a fun uh, conversation to listen to. So with that, let's go ahead and listen in. In this episode, I interview Eric Broda, an executive consultant in the financial services space. Eric shared his learnings from aiding a large financial services firm to implement data mesh from the infancy of the project. Eric's big thesis for companies looking to be data-driven is to think of themselves as a platform for connecting supply and demand. The internal company may be the supplier, like in the financial services uh, space, if the bank is lending money directly, but more often is about being the platform to match investors to consumers looking to take out a loan. Lowering the friction between both sides of your constituencies is crucial and getting really good at data can help there. We also discussed the typical journey he is seeing for clients realizing data mesh might be good for them. It typically starts off as a technology discussion around a pain point that is acute, but not dire. There's no need to look at something like data mesh unless something isn't working. To Eric and and I agree, the technology is like plumbing. You expect it to work, but most businesses at the high level don't care about it as long as it works. You don't buy a house for the plumbing. Eric's big point of advice is that you shouldn't underestimate the organizational change required to do something like data mesh right. Plan for the change and also don't try to skip the necessary change. That will lead to disaster. Speaking of organizational structure, Eric firmly believes the centralization of data ownership fails Conway's law, and that's why it just doesn't work. While companies can overcome that failure of Conway's law with a lot of effort, most don't get there due to a building fatigue around trying to overcome that. In financial services specifically, the way Eric sees data products emerging is a direct one-to-one relationship between data producers and consumers. The data producers need funding to get the data product created and potentially the funding for continuing to keep the data product going. And the data producers slash owners cannot be forced to produce. It must be a negotiation. And for funding, Eric says, use tangible business outcomes to align on. When developing a new data product, Eric recommends to first start with expected usage patterns pretty explicitly as the one-to-one relationship model, at least in a data product's early life, needs to match the needs of the data consumers. Rather than trying to create it for uh, general use, you should try to focus specifically on that one customer's use and set it up to evolve. There needs to be an actual dialogue between producer and consumer, and Eric has seen data product roadmaps be pretty helpful there. We also discussed why I think CDC is a pretty bad pattern for data mesh, but Eric thinks it can be useful if you are really thoughtful in how you leverage it. This is similar to what Abhi Asylum said in, in his uh, call, as well as the one that uh, the interview he had on the Data Engineering podcast around data contract Eric has written a few posts in and around the topic linked in the show notes. Eric also stated his belief that Master Data Management, or MDM, is essentially dead, especially in data mesh. It hasn't ever really worked, and it's not worth trying to do it with data mesh. Time will tell whether he's right on that one. So I think you'll have a, a lot of interesting food for thought coming out of this one, whether it's giving you very explicit uh, guidance. I, I don't know as much, but I think you'll find a lot of this quite useful. Bottom line up front, what will you hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Xavier Gumara-Rigul, who has been helping to lead Adaventa's data mesh implementation as area manager for experimentation and analytics enablement around the data as a product concept and learning from Adaventa's journey thus far. Xavier has put out some great articles and did a data mesh learning meetup that are linked in the show notes. One key aspect to data as a product is to understand the need for data product evolution both relative to maturity and to what is consumed. This is a common theme in many data mesh conversations as historically, data consumers and data consumption has really resisted evolution and change. Consumers need to really understand that the business is evolving, so what they will consume from the data side will evolve too. If you manage data products well, won't be a sudden change, but if we are trying to share insights into a domain, those insights will change. The domain is changing. When thinking about data product maturity as well, it's totally okay to start by thinking of a data product as a single table or view and then evolve that into more of a data set type of um construct for what your data product is. Again, you can evolve your overall mesh implementation as well as the data products themselves. Applying data as a product thinking to your data sets is easier said than done. While data mesh is a leading proponent of data as a product, companies not doing data mesh can also use the data as a product thinking. Adavinta started down this path before embarking on their data mesh journey of course again data as a product is far easier said than done savi recommends starting by prior prioritizing which data you want to make available you know this is a process not a switch to flip so you can't just really try to go from <laughs> no data as a product to all of you know, applying product thinking to all of your data you should figure out which data is important for each domain and at the broader organization level and start there. Data also really needs documentation, but most documentation is overly technical focused. Good documentation should explain how to use the data. You know, you need to make it easy to get to the data and also to get to the information about the data to make it usable. Not just, you know, how should this schema look, but what are we actually trying to convey and why, right? That documentation should tell a story. And, and that's where I think Xavi um, has talked about as well in the past of Adavinta has um, multiple notebooks for each data product, kind of a beginner and, and an advanced notebook, so that people can really see what queries the data product creators would Think people should use for Adavinta's Data Mesh journey. They started with every data product being a single table or view. You know, data was originally centrally managed, so interoperability was already established. It wasn't really a problem that they had to tackle um, when moving from that centralized uh, structure into the distributed. But, however, the documentation was very lacking, and and the general usability of the data just wasn't great. So. You know, when they first started, they spent their first few quarters, though, just focusing on splitting their monolithic data production into separate pipelines for each domain instead of one giant cluster. The giant cluster was becoming a major bottleneck as changes were really hard and maintainability was getting harder every day. Now each domain essentially has one data product, but with multiple dimensions and tables. Each, each product is layered and each layer has different granularity and SLAs. Xavi uh, does a great uh, job of explaining kind of what that means and, and why they went down that road. Zavi also mentioned some pitfalls to force data product evolution, basically getting it wrong as changes can be quite costly to backfill. You know, we talked about the Data, ev- data product evolution from a consumer angle, but also if you have to go back and change the way that you've, you're sharing that data and you have to go back and compute, you know, months and months worth of data, that can be very, very uh, cost uh, intensive from a compute perspective, right? So it's something that that you still need to be aware of and you need to do. And, and in general, talking about data product evolution, to do it right... Version, versioning and deprecation plans are really, really key. A few other notable points, just kind of some one off things. It's Javi believes all data products should be accessible via SQL, but definitely not just SQL. You should have uh, multiple different output ports on your data products. Uh, templates and blueprints for data products are incredibly useful and important. Again, talked about this a, a bit in, in, previous episodes, and you'll see this theme come up a bunch in future episodes as well of just reducing that friction and that toil work for everybody in your organization. And and that's what templates and blueprints can really do. And then the tooling and practices to prevent application changes from breaking the data are just still pretty lacking. Adavinta uses data model reviews, but it's it's still not perfect, and so we really need to see some tooling emerge in this space. So I think you'll get a lot out of this episode, and, and you'll enjoy the conversation as well.